think we're just gonna jump in here. Um, we may see some others uh, hop on, but it's pretty informal. We called it a little last minute, so um, not a problem in any way. So what I think we want to do here, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have, uh, who here has seen the, well, I talk about this all the time, but the, uh, a thread I did recently kind of reflecting on the Ukraine crisis, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and all that goes along with that has been a pretty major event for the misinformation, anti-misinformation community. And um, so watching that and kind of feeling inspired, but also feeling reminded um, that there's just, there are things that I wish we had in place and uh, things I wish that we as a community could do that um, yeah, that I feel is missing. So this is, uh, in the vein of kind of trying to step back and think strategically, not about Russia, Ukraine specifically, not about any of the other topics that we cover specifically, but kind of like as an anti-misinformation community, what could we be doing? Should we be doing, uh, what should we be able to do? And then how do we build infrastructure to make that possible so that's kind of the that's kind of the idea there well i mean on on ukraine and russia i was astonished actually how well uh, as well as the ukraine is, is holding on you know from a, a territory perspective from a, an information perspective from an anti-misinformation perspective they've done magnificently i am astonished at how well they've they've went there um i think you're right about uh, building our own infrastructure for these things, if you look at at the anti-vaxxers, they have tele they literally have televisions that uh, you know they've got television, they've got books, they've got substacks and, and and all this stuff. And it's one thing to debunk, but actually to get ahead of the game and and, and to be able to show people before they see the thing why is that crap. Why doesn't things? Why don't things work like that? I think it's really powerful. Uh, so we need to we need to build up our own platforms and our own infrastructure and our own media. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I, there's a lot to be said for Ukraine and the threat it finds itself under, not just now but for the last six eight years and even a long time before that, right? Like they just, they are not strangers in the way that we in the US are. And I don't want to speak for the UK, but you know, we feel a little removed from it, I think um, to the point where, uh, I mean, even just like stepping apart from who's perpetrating it, you know, like which foreign powers behind it, Russia doing this or that, um, the level of like awareness, <laughs> that an, an ordinary Ukrainian has is um, pretty remarkable, I think. And I learned, I think, a couple of years ago that, that a, a number of these former Soviet states have, like, primetime television programs that are just kind of, here's the latest fake stuff that's kind of going around, just watch out for it, right? So a little bit, that's an inspiration for PRISM and I think a vision for what we could do and we could become is kind of um a broader awareness 
Um, so I think we need to have better infrastructure in place to build that awareness, to grow that awareness and be like specific tactical kind of here's how we're working together to track the narratives that are coming along, to look at the networks that amplify them and, uh, and, you know, tackle research that needs to be done to fill knowledge gaps in our understanding of the overall problem of disinformation, misinformation. I mean, there's a few different angles that I think about the infrastructure piece um, from, but Ukraine is really an example in a lot of ways. I'm not going to take it to the step where Ukraine has also done a great job at kind of like counter-programming and some of the things they've done overreach, right? Like you got Zelensky saying that the the Snake Island soldiers with the famous line uh, perished when they actually didn't. Um, I don't know. I don't think that was necessarily intentional or whatever, but it had a pro- propaganda effect at the time he said it. And later when the truth is found out, like not as many people know about that. So there's kind of that government propaganda piece that I definitely want to leave aside and out of this infrastructure. This is like, what is as civil society can we be doing in a market oriented kind of way and among academics and researchers kind of pull together. So um, yeah, Ukraine is a good example. I think they, um, they've got their act together in a lot of ways. All right. Anybody else just joining, you're welcome to uh, throw on for the microphone and I will click you through. Um, yeah, I had another, sorry, one sec. Gotta find my notes here. Um, so this is about how do we think about the tools and resources, connective tissue for the community to be more effective in studying misinformation. And as I said, the public facing piece, how do we better package things that we know for the public and how do we generate soft power that gets more people who are out there in the anti-misinformation mindset and so forth. So it's not just professionals talking to one another, although I think we need more of that, but it's also we as a community are, uh, are doing the best job we can of um, packaging what we have for a, a um, broader audience. So, yeah, I think just like what infrastructure do you see as needed? Um, and I've got a few ideas, but I want to throw it over to you all first. Um, so let me just introduce the idea and then I'll give one example and then just open it up a little bit. So, and don't even worry about not knowing how a thing could be built or the particular particulars of the form the thing takes. Um, I'm kind of trying to approach this from the job to be done perspective, i.e., this thing I have in mind is um, a function, some capability that we should have, something we should be able to do that we're not, and then just kind of an idea of what could make that possible. And I think that the details of that, you know, can be sorted. But if we understand kind of the problem that's being solved, the job to be done, that'll get us a lot of the way there. So just to illustrate, um, as a community, there's a lot of good work exposing bad actors. But it doesn't seem to stick very well. You know, a lot of this sort of lives on people's uh, home, <laughs> on their local device or network. Um, maybe they share it uh, with a select few people. But as a community, we're not 
really um, looking at specific bad actors in a persistent way. And that can include people who are part of networks, inauthentic accounts that are clearly inauthentic um, that we've people have looked at and tracked. So the idea for this would be um, instead of having to convince people who come new to this repeatedly about this bad actor is bad, like why is Gateway Pundit bad? We would just have, um, and that's time consuming and it, it doesn't really work. Um, what about instead we have like a bad actor dossier, right, for each of these and um, a little directory to kind of look those up. So each one of these has a card and you can kind of um, record on there. There'd be an audit trail. So it'd be a recording of like, here's instances specifically documented. Here is, so like all the receipts, um, what other individuals or accounts is this connected to? And that kind of like links over to another card. For example, Jim Hoff is connected to the Gateway Pundit card, that kind of thing. Um, so that's an idea, right? That'd be something to kind of, um, that'd be kind of a reference material to go with, for example, the This Week in Misinformation, the newsletter archive, and we're working on version 1.1 of the Anti-Misinformation Resources Catalog. Um, so something like that could be a reference point. So that's an example. All right, so I'm gonna hold there. And I see I've got a request. Hunter, I gotcha. Oh, did we lose stars? Stars had to go. No, still here. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Uh, no, I actually uh, went, went looking for something which I'm going to tweet out, uh, which is a, a resource that sounds very similar to, to what you're talking about, which was written. It was specifically for um, COVID misinformation. There was a, a bunch of, of interested folk, including an MP and, and some other people. They made this sort of a glossary of bad actors. Um, it's just a Notion website. So Notion is like a, a thing that's usually used for documentation. Um, I assume that they paid almost nothing for it, and it is exactly what you describe. It's like a wiki of all the bad actors that they could find. Um, so those those tools are, are very available. I don't know how they've avoided getting sued for it, but um, those things are there and they're free and we absolutely should extend them into everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doing it as kind of a wiki. Uh, that's, that tool set already kind of exists, right? There are lots of libraries and that could be pretty easy to to build, <clears throat> there might be a way to do it. So that is covidfaq.co. Covidfaq.co? Yes. Write that down and check it out. And you're tracking, that's for like, uh, it's people doing vaccine stuff. Uh, well, it was before really. I, th I think they started before any of the vaccines became available. But it was specifically, the COVID misinformation. I mean, all those people are now anti-vax. Well, a lot of those people now are anti-vaxxers. Not all, um, but it was specifically around uh, people who were putting nonsense into the 
into the COVID space before really before the vaccines uh, were available. I don't know how up to date they've kept it, which is another thing. But it's still there as a glossary that anybody can use and find stuff out on. And okay. so tools, tools like that. I mean, it's just I'm not saying oh that everyone needs to pile into that particular one, but it's just an example of the sort of thing that is there using tools that are free or cheap. Because money's a big yeah, factor like in all this, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's no money for it right now, but the idea would be. My idea here would be uh, put together a proposal that's very concrete and like specific as to what needs to be built with requirements, price that out, and then go and kind of uh, raise money for it. So it'd be just like as transparent as we can make it. Here's what we intend to build and here's what it's going to cost and um, see if we can't uh, get some folks to pitch into it or find some, you know, some wealthy people looking for a good cause to kind of throw in. I, I don't think it's going to cost that much to do this kind of thing. I think we just need to be uh, thoughtful and intentional in advance about what we want it to do so that when it's built, it does something useful. But I will check out covidfaq.co. That's helpful. And, you know, like the Center for Countering Digital Hate does their disinformation dozen, I think also anti-vaccine folks, right? Yeah. And it's 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 useful. I, I really need to let other people speak here on URI, but um, it's useful as well because they were able to package that stuff and give it to journalists, and journalists could run with it because it was uh, it wasn't just here's a big bunch of raw material you hunt through it. It was here's analysis, here's everything, here's it all broken down. You can stick that into your newspaper, almost just uh, copy paste, and you're done. Um, they did a great job with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on this idea of kind of tracking bad actors? I think we'd have to be mindful with this. So in terms of the job to be done of like uh, keeping a record, crowdsourcing a record and keeping a persistent kind of thread going or whatever on each on each individual actor, there'd be some issues with adjudicating, uh, like there are people who point to other people as being bad actors when they're not, for example. And like, how would we think about, um, sort of managing that, right? We'd have to be pretty strict about, okay, factual information about what this post person has posted or done there should just be kind of like a standard form or something maybe to mitigate that um so some some kind of suggestion there because i think there'll be disagreement right on some there'll be like widespread acceptance but then when you crowdsource a thing people are going to try people are going to want to throw in like this person i've noticed uh has is you know this person is sus Right. But there's a lot of this. There's there's a lot of this kind of like this person is sus and I have a bad feeling, but like there's not actually a lot of evidence to show that that person is engaged in a troll army or uh, a disinformation network um, and so forth. So we'll just need to think about how to deal with that, probably. But wouldn't it also be valuable? Oh, my name's Hunter, by the way. 
uh, for nice to meet you too and thank you for the, the conversation uh, we're actually trying to get a get a large um operation going at the moment uh because of the current events uh but also like i think maybe also tracking down the specific spaces uh you know we're like servers on discord that are that are centers of these things i think th this is also the an information gap that people don't understand like that they're that it's not just like on a couple of facebook groups and not like this and that there's a lot of like unseen things so people need to be aware these places exist at all mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense sorry when you say we uh you're coming from i'm trying to Look at your uh, so uh, I've actually started organizing a group of uh, organizations to do like aid for uh, for Ukraine, but part of that aid will also be in uh, countering the information war going on. And there's lots of uh, rampant conspiracy theory and stuff going on at the moment, as you have all probably noticed. Um, <laughs> and I think this is also like it's a uh, it's important to understand like when institutions fall into this, uh, and also like you know subgroups within like larger organizations. So like speaking from experience, you know, uh, within my own uh, political party, the Labour Party in the UK, uh, we have a, a significant rise of kind of uh, this conspiracy mindedness that has always kind of like been there. But in the last few days, it has become uh, it has been come channeled into kind of like the darker parts of the Internet. And because of the nature of these platforms, you know, uh, social pressures, whatnot, um, it becomes like quite clear. Uh, and so it's like people end up getting sucked in quite quickly who might not have otherwise. Um, and then they also kind of segment themselves off into different, uh, you know, social spaces. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the question exactly I'm asking, but uh, if you if you can kind of understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I think like the wider problem that we, we are most concerned about, like the, uh, uh, the youth organizations we're, we're organizing with across the continent is that, you know, you have a, a rapid instant rise of, of really rampant Russophobia for Russian speakers and Russian people sit, living in uh, the rest of Europe. And, uh, you know, this, this is, is going to continue accelerating up. Um, you know, people already trolls have figured out like this is like the new fertile ground to work in. Um, and, and this is like, I guess, like one of the prime reasons of myself and several other people in this meeting that I dragged along uh have come in and uh would like some tips <laughs> oh you dropped <laughs> okay um you know yeah i think there's something to dig into there we uh, we've talked a lot previously about when there's a crisis situation something big happening in the world that tends to like draw out first of all big events that are hard to explain or can have multiple explanations or a complex, then like there's there's an opening there, right, for the conspiracy folks to jump in and kind of like give a simplistic answer that makes people feel good about understanding and whether that's Putin's a good guy in this case or um, Fauci and Bill Gates are the are the bad guy in this other situation, right? Like there are simple explanations that tend to come out whenever there's big events, and then in fast moving crises, especially those also invite uh even additional probably like profit motivated um clickbaity things scams right all of that tends to come along with a big event so could we have some kind of infrastructure that's ready so we're not just like hit each time and have no you know 
we're we're kind of like pushing back on the fly, right? Which is which I feel is kind of what we've done now. And with the Ukraine example I said at the beginning, I think we it's been kind of amazing um, uh, the stuff that folks have been doing. But at the same time, shouldn't be down to people sacrificing their sleep and um, getting distracted from their day jobs when they're volunteering to do that. You know what I mean? Like there should just be something that makes it easy to plug in uh, quickly what your effort is, what your interest is and push back in a crisis situation and in a big event situation as well. Yeah. So I've, so I've been, I've been working with Hunter on this project. Um, and one of the things we found is even people whose intentions are good, will sometimes either spread or amplify misinformation or like bad messages. So for example, earlier today, um, hashtag I stand with Russia was trending and it was mostly people dunking on Putin and saying, why is this trending? But that then kind of boosts up and sort of does Putin's job for him, for example. So how do we kind of get that kind of digital literacy to, I guess, stop people amplifying bad messages, even when they're criticizing those messages, if that makes sense. Because sometimes that isn't helpful, as in this case. Yeah, yeah, so this is what you see. You see a lot of people come out, uh, a lot of experts at the beginning of this stage of the invasion a couple weeks ago, or I don't even know, eight, eight days ago, um, would like tweet out right a lot <laughs> almost everybody had their version of kind of like okay this is going to be a situation everybody needs to be everybody needs to check on their sources everybody needs to kind of be really mindful of false information as it tends to go around in these situations um you're bringing up another kind of flavor of that which is we should also have public facing messaging uh, as fast as possible that kind of teach about the basic mechanics, for example, the oxygen of amplification. Um, I see people posting this, but it's not, it's clearly not reaching like a lot of people to the point where it's making a big difference. Whereas if we had something a little more organized and, um, put together where as soon as an event starts happening, we can say like, all right, watch for the fake stuff. Don't amplify hashtags, even to dunk on them whatever right kind of like go down the list of things to do in a crisis situation and then really um push that messaging out to reach as many people as possible and basic digital media literacy but that's kind of a that's a longer term project right we need it well upstream of when the crisis hits but right now uh maybe need to focus just on what we can what we can manage given the current levels of media literacy and it builds media literacy as you do that. I mean, every instance of that happening, you're going to have that. Like if that, if we'd been coordinated about it in advance of Afghanistan evacuation and refugees last summer, and again with Russia, Ukraine, this um, late winter and into spring, you know, after like three or four cycles, if we did that effectively, people would start to, I think, take that on board and uh and get savvier about it that's a good point stars you got something yeah well i'm i'm i'm, I'm thinking how to 
so uh, I and a couple of other people, including Brent, who's on this, have started a podcast called Lads on Tour. Uh, and what's interesting about the other two hosts is that they were both 9-11 truthers at a point. Brent, please step in and tell me uh, whenever I get this wrong. Um, but at least in the case of Ivor, who's the guy who's not on the line at the minute, uh, he learned a bit about metallurgy, and he came to the conclusion that some of the things that you know the, the truthers were saying about 9/11 were not possible from a scientific perspective. So, I I don't know if there's much of a parallel between that and um, you know political or warfare actions or or, or anything like that, but there's definitely. Um, in in all the in all the sort of the conspiracy or all misinformation stuff that I see, there's you know there's the stuff that cannot happen like that. It's just it's it's not possible. It's not how the world works. So with nine eleven, you had people shouting, "Oh, jet fuel can't melt steel beams." Well, jet fuel doesn't have to melt steel beams for them to become malleable enough for a building collapse. Um, if you look at some of the stuff around, oh, the vaccines are going to kill everybody if this ADE stuff. Well, ADE is not uh, not going to happen, and you know, uh, immunologists will, will be able to explain why it's not going to happen, why it cannot happen. Um, the political stuff's more difficult because you're not dealing with. You know, you're not dealing with science. You're not dealing with how the world works on a physical level. But even so, um, it's not to me saying the you know whatever the misinformation is didn't happen is not as powerful as it cannot happen. And here's why it cannot happen. And having people aware at least as much as possible that it cannot happen before the misinformation is available. So with the case of the, the vaccine ADE stuff, right, I don't expect everybody to know anything about immunology, but certainly as soon as immunologists seen that, you know, they spat out their coffee because they were laughing so hard at it. And I don't know how we get that level with, with other things, but if people can understand what cannot happen and why it cannot happen before they're told that it just happened, that's useful. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, especially in the Ukraine situation, is that you had to have such specific knowledge areas to really understand the situation. Uh, you know, myself, like I spent several last year tracking the far right, so I was well versed in Russian fascism, and uh, I read a lot about the uh, Ukraine, and I knew a lot about it, and I had political firsthand experience. Um, but it's like, I'm like a unicorn <laughs> in this respect. And it's like very, you know, the, that kind of knowledge transfer gets very difficult because it still remains niche information. Yeah. Um, okay. Just taking my notes here. All right. I want to ask something about, okay, so there's the breaking news and I think something that could be useful for the community and also the wider public would be sort of like recommended reads type guides. Uh, 
when there's a breaking event, for example, just something quick and dirty, here's like four things to read quickly about it. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of news organizations do this type of explainer. Um, but maybe we should examine that and see if it's, uh, see if it's working and what would need to be, um, fixed to make it more effective. Um, because I think you can get ahead of ignorance fueled misinformation with a quick and dirty kind of just like, Hey, this new thing is happening. And like, I'll point you in this direction. And then you're kind of like, instead of responding to, uh, you, you know, Putin is bombing bioweapons labs in Ukraine. You're just, you kind of like go and take the sign and you say, here's like a place for useful information, um, about what's happening there. And if it's not in there, there's a good chance it's not real. Right. Um, something like that. I think, um, and, uh, some of you have been sending me things, uh, today and in the past that are kind of like things on a Google drive. There's, um, as I said, like on your local device, whatever it is, but like really valuable, <laughs> deep background and context, less for breaking information, but for, um, things that deal with the broader conspiracy sphere. Um, there's a lot that's known, a lot that's been written about this and people have like really good lists of resources, um, in some way to, uh, kind of get those in one place. I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that's the answer because the people who need to read them aren't necessarily going to, but at the same time, it'd be helpful for somebody coming in interested. They're kind of newer to whatever thing they're looking at, or they've just encountered it for the first time. You could search and find, Oh, here's like, there's books been written about this and here's these articles and I've not been collecting a lot of those in the individual instances myself because I'm focused more on like the meta level of, of misinformation, but um, like very context specific type of resource, a library for that, right? Would be a, like a go-to standing reference and then could add a little annex each time there's a major world event around which misinformation swirls and you'd have like a little, okay, here's all the Ukraine stuff that you should kind of know about. So that's an idea. Hello, a thankless. Okay. Okay. Any other jobs to be done related to breaking news situations? Um, that kind of thing before we move on. I think something similar could be done for like scams. Uh, and when you were talking, Hunter, I was thinking about this. Um, Ukraine happens and then all these aid groups pop up and they're trying to get their thing done and out there. And then a lot of fake ones crop up right next to them. And by definition, everything's new. These, you know, a lot of these groups didn't exist before. The ones that did, awesome, right? They've established a reputation and whatever. But if I'm like a regular person on Facebook and I start seeing, hey, contribute to this cause we're going to buy some armor for um some armor and some helmets and stuff for ukrainian soldiers uh unless it's coming from somebody you really trust to have vetted that out you're going to be susceptible to um getting scammed on a thing like that so maybe there's like an analog there i feel pretty strongly about scams and that we have to do something about scams as well as part of the misinformation problem um so it occurs to me those are those could be related 
and maybe a similar approach. No, I definitely think there's there's definitely something to that, uh, and I think the the nature of like influencer culture leans into the scams quite quite heavily. Um, you know, one one of the things I keep thinking about is like I see I feel like a lot of the same. It's not the same same, but it rhymes between like the Q influencers, co-envoy influencers, people trying to make their grift. Um, I don't see this as being any different uh, in the short term or the long term. Um, so it's, I think it's also maybe also tying to the first question of some of these bagged actors are just going to find a new hustle in Ukraine and the Russia stuff. And that might also be a, a, a very important thing to watch out for because, you know, they have a skill to do this already. And if you know how to do something, you do it again. Yeah. If you know yeah, how to do it. Enough. Sorry, go ahead. So I was just saying we we are absolutely seeing that with with uh, the the COVID uh, cranks effortlessly gliding over to being um, talking nonsense about the invasion. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah. No to that. Go ahead. But, so yeah, sorry to jump in, guys. Uh, very briefly, I've been involved in basically a lot of the anti-crank communities for over 20 years on the internet um and obviously a lot of things that you're discussing right now is this idea of uh, people who are recycled from conspiracy to conspiracy um generally there's a bunch of ringleaders the disinformation 12 whatever you want to call them um years ago and still ongoing to some extent uh, there was the push by things like rational wiki uh, this idea where you can start to document these people, where you can incrementally add more information to these people's profiles as you discover more information about them, because obviously a lot of the time they're operating in an anonymous fashion, uh, where you can then build hubs, links, uh, subcategories, whatever you want to call them, uh, linking these people together. Now, I, I'm an editor on Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> where we have a, a lot of uh, struggle with kind of like this influence maligning from outside. Um, organized groups of people or people with just with very different opinions of how things have evolved. Gamergate would be a very good example of that kind of like conspiratorial thinking that uh, became a festering hotbed for a lot of like alt right ideas that somehow like created a horseshoe theory and, you know, with the alt, the alt right on one side and the far left libs on the other side. Um, and if you look at the Gamergate article now on Wikipedia, it is possibly the worst article on Wikipedia, full stop. It's horrific, really poorly put together, massively over-detailed. Over Even to this point now, it's kind of like uh, not actually dealing with the people that are the problem and more explaining how much people were punished and how much people suffered. And anything that we need to put together, anything that needs to be kind of like dealt with, needs to be about the people that are causing the issue, which is where Rational Wiki was much better at it, because it literally got down to brass tacks. And you'll see a lot of the people that are on Rational Wiki are the same people today in Heart Group that are involved in uh, these political organisations that are malign influences with the Conservative Party, 
uh, that are fringe organisations with Brexit, uh, that are have the sh shadowy funding from external parties. Uh, so sorry, you're you're referencing a rational wiki. Is that a? I've not heard of that. So ra rational wiki is just a, a wiki uh, on 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 the internet. Basically, it's a, it's not a fork of Wikipedia. It's a completely standalone platform. Um, and rational wiki was started early 2000s when Wikipedia first came out, really, as a way of documenting things that didn't kind of meet Wikipedia's standards for inclusion. Oh, okay. So people like just uh, McCullough and people like that instantaneously got articles. They wouldn't get one on Wikipedia, but they got one on rational wiki because they were documenting the malign influence that they had. Uh, a lot of the YouTube cranks instantly got web pages on Rational Wiki because uh, they didn't meet any of the criteria for inclusion on Wikipedia and we had to fight to keep them off. But we also needed somewhere to document uh, the crazy and to see this crazy be recycled because the same people would come around again and again and again and again. Um, and it was very easy to lose one person that was a crank in 2006 to see them come back in 2010 and have to do all the research all over again. And Rational Wiki allows you to, to see these people in context of the stuff that they've said over 10 years, 12 years, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think we really need something like that that keeps that. So we're persistently tracking on some of these bad actors. We can't, we, we don't let the memory hole, you know, what they've done in the past. And, and importantly, as, interest kind of like comes in waves on this topic more folks come in and then like they don't know you know they don't have the deep back background institutional knowledge that um somebody who's been watching it for a long time so we have to have that recorded somewhere you know and i think the point was made earlier like the anti-vaccine groups have a pretty you know impressive infrastructure and coordination capabilities whereas like the side that's pushing back against vaccine misinformation and disinformation um, is probably, you know, less organized and certainly less, less resourced and everything. Um, okay. So I, I want to ask about, um, talked about having a library. We talked about recommended breeding type guide okay so what about like what about the problem area of there's a specific narrative that's bubbling up and this is some some work that i did a couple of years ago got me thinking on this but basically like there's this whole big mess of the internet and then kind of like some false stuff starts churning out there and then some of them um end up becoming a thing for lack of more precise <laughs> wording some of them end up becoming a thing and then we should be tracking that and understand kind of as a community of people watching this where that narrative lives if it has reached a certain volume or reach or uh import or it's been climbing up the ladder of kind of I shouldn't say the ladder because that makes it sound like it's getting better climbing the uh <laughs> going through the funnel as it were and then things get laundered up through 
you know, the some major news ish websites and then maybe even appear on Fox News or um, they, you know, Rachel Maddow says the same thing or something. Right. Um, So you can imagine a tracking of a narrative in the same way we talk about the bad actors. They have their dossier. Each person has a card like at a certain point within a tool, a collaborative tool, we kind of like can mark that and say like, okay, we're creating a card for this thing. You, um, Russia is bombing bioweapons labs in Ukraine. That's becoming a thing. So let's have a. On the audit trail of that card, for example, specific instances, there's links and um, it has kind of the audit trail that you can look back and see. And even a visual representation might be interesting. You get a bunch of these cards, put them up on a Kanban kind of board and say, I don't know what the levels are, but on the far left, it's just sort of like only the cranks are talking about this, but they're talking a lot about it. And then the next would be, okay, it got picked up by Gateway Pundit or whatever. And then you can kind of like imagine it sort of going through that cycle all the way up to all the way up to Trump has repeated it. And now the entire Republican establishment <laughs> that's trying to um, be friends with Trump uh, is defending that and and modifying it, sanitizing it mildly, maybe, or just outright repeating it. Um, to be able to kind of track the life cycle, I think we would get useful data from that too about how these narratives work. If we did this consistently and um, over enough time, we would start to build a pretty good pretty good data set. And again, this is in absence of, I should just make a note here. This is an absence of the social media platforms who have the data and already know and could tell us and just don't, right? Because they're not being transparent with um, how things happen on their platform. This is a workaround. This is like a poor man's version of what could be understood and, and known from, from proper data. I'm going to stop and leave for comments there for a sec. And hearing none, is that a is that a useful kind of use case for anyone here? Would you be interested in participating in a thing like that? So I think it's interesting as a uh, thought project to kind of like demonstrate to the general public how these things become spread. It's a lot harder to do that for everything, and it can become very, very overwhelming. But it, it is interesting to sometimes say, look, this is where this hashtag started. This is where it ended up. This is the websites it came from. These are the people it's affiliated with. Um, but it's very hard to kind of do that on a every case basis. It would have to be a very specific and targeted way. Yeah, I think I think um, something using something incredibly innocuous would be a good way to do it. Something that most people wouldn't realize is a thing like, for example, I don't know, hashtag save our children would be a great example of that, where it's sort of been taken over by QAnon. Uh, it's all kind of insane. But 
I, I think I think that one would be a good one to sort of use as an example when you're teaching people about misinformation because it's 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 something where if you're not really well versed in it, you're like, oh, save our children. That's something I support. Kind of thing. So I think I think if we're working on kind of like a case study of how misinformation works, that would be quite good to kind of maybe focus on. But interested to know everyone else's thoughts. Um, well, I was just going to say I'm I'm kind of from the other side, so I'm like sort of in that sort of conspiracy world that you that you might call it. So I just thought, just to so you can sort of hear things from the other side, I thought I'd just drop in and, and, and say hi. Um, um, it's it's the debate of our times. You know, it's the it's the big thing. How do we um, how do we manage so much information? You know, how do we so who, if you like, is telling the truth? Who owns the truth? Does anyone own it? It's 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 like a you know internet revolution, and I think it's doing a lot of harm. Um, you know, maybe it will be settled somehow, but right now we're we're in the thick of it. And um, my question is, I want to know what Putin is planning to do, and I want to know for myself. I don't want anyone to tell me. I want to draw my own conclusions. Um, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I only want the truth. And in this situation, the truth is really important to all of us because, you know, we're talking about a very dangerous situation, and and. and you know, if, if someone was in your house, you need want to know where, what room they were in and what they were doing. And it feels a bit like that. I want to know what's, what is happening. You know, I, and I really need to know for myself, is he really going to go and look at all the Baltic states and all that kind of stuff? Or is it just going to be Ukraine? And the narrative is being taken away so that I can't discuss it with anyone. I can't read about it or see it on any mainstream. I, so, of course, I go other, I go elsewhere because no one is answering the questions in a satisfactory way so i just thought i'd share that with you guys yeah thank you james uh we're not gonna get too deep into the mind of putin uh on this particular space but i understand what you're saying about uh unsatisfactory you know kind of reporting complex chaotic situations kind of have that effect so um that's certainly something it's certainly very human and understandable to want to look to other other sources for for answers on those kind of things. I guess. Thank you. Guess, Thank you for letting me speak. Purposes, by the way, I appreciate it. Yeah. No. Sure. I think for our purposes, it's kind of like how do we, um, you know, how do we establish a sense of which of those sources? I mean, it's unsatisfactory that the mainstream media, the way they're covering it, or whatever. Maybe because it's just an unsatisfactory situation, but there's legitimate criticisms as well of how they how they do it. But um, you know, what's the way we can communicate? Maybe something along the lines of, well, these folks giving the fringe explanations are sound more certain, right? They provide answers, but they're not based on, uh, you know, based on reality. That they'll tell you that they're saying things that the mainstream media won't, and so forth. Um, but the reality is the things that they're talking about are just kind of not confirmed, not verified. And therefore, you know, therefore you won't see, um, professional reporters and l larger news organizations kind of picking those things up. 
So that's an interesting kind of angle to take. Joe, you got your hand up. Yeah. So I just, you know, I wanted to just ask James um, sort of like what uh, you feel the mainstream media lacks exactly. And then just kind of like what you feel like the incentive structure is behind um, the mainstream media that kind of like drives you to, to look for alternative sources, you know, like what, first off what's lacking and then second, you know, I would say there's a corporate incentive there. Um, a lot of the reporting is done by folks who come from elite backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, there's that critique. So, um, but yeah, how would you make that James? Or what do you make of that? I, excuse me. Sure. Um, because there's so many listeners here um, and you were talking about, um, you know, very specific subject. Um, maybe if you follow me, we can talk about it another time. I don't want to go off topic for everyone else that's come for something. Um, but I'll just say one thing. Um, I, I, I really need to know for myself exactly where those Russian troops are. OK, for myself, you know, I'm, I'm not bad at sort of satellite images and other things and sources. I just want to know because it's very important because it shapes what's going on. And I, the last thing I want is for someone to say to me, you know, perhaps a little bit condescendingly, we're the authority. Listen to us. If you don't, you're stupid. All right. But I'll leave it there for now. And please follow me and we can talk about it in more detail. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, James. Thanks, Joe, for the question. Yeah, this is this is something we should dive into. Where's that dissatisfaction come from? Because uh, it really speaks a lot to the heart of the issue and has that impact on on trust. Um, I think the tone is a lot of it, right? The thing James just said about if the answer always is, well, these people know what they're talking about and you don't, obviously that is not a message that people receive with any kind of with any kind of openness. That's that's very frustrating. Um, so we've got to find different approaches to uh, educating about source reliability and how journalistic vetting goes and all of that and um, and just pointing and saying trust the science, dummy or whatever it is. Hey, stars, sorry. Did you drop? I didn't notice that you dropped. Um, all right, great. Let me see here. Can I, can I leap in at this point? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to pivot to something else if oh, you okay. got anything. Well, I was going to, first I was going to thank James actually for being brave enough to, to come into a group, I guess, and, and speak like that. That was, that was terrific. Um, one of the things I find uh, is probably quite useful is how Bellingcat go about their work. So if you read, uh, say, a Bellingcat article about um, the MH17 um, plane that went that crashed in Ukraine and, and, and how the information went out about it, a lot of their articles are literally, here's how we know the information that we know. Here's the exact piece of the puzzle that we found. Um, and I think that that would potentially help somebody like, I, I don't want to say like James as if he, he necessarily needs any help, but it would help people with a mindset of, I want to understand this information for myself and, and draw the conclusions from the raw data. I think that what Bellingcat do um, 
with their investigations is is really powerful and really useful and everybody could learn something from it sorry uh to to jump in with that no i think it's a great point Bowing oh. is always oh, sorry I'd, I'd just like to add that this is something that um conspiracy theorists do really well as well especially with um, again, going back to QAnon, who makes people feel like they're investigating and they're finding things out for themselves, whereas leaving like breadcrumbs, sort of thing, and that's something which is really powerful because it makes people feel like they're learning and or they're investigating, and that is a very very powerful tool that they use that we should be aware of, I think. Yeah, it'd be it'd be great to find a way to harness that, right? Because that that is very admirable. That's like you know you get into that mindset and you're gonna think critically about what you're looking at and kind of end up directing uh, directing your attention at the the world as it is known, right? And some of that, by the way, is sort of um, is sort of pre presented falsely, like in these snippets. I think of like the mask example, where it's like everybody thought that masks didn't work at the beginning of the pandemic. And actually that's not at all what people thought an expert consensus was always in the other direction. It was just, there was different guidance at the beginning and it had more to do with scarcity and whatever. But now what you see is, you know, we're gonna look back at that example and say like, ha, example, uh, evidence of how the whole worldview is wrong and sometimes what is thought to be misinformation ends up being exactly right. Um, so it's kind of like that. But anyway, the point is that uh, you direct your attention at the constructed reality and you kind of like apply your creative thinking and your research in that direction. Well, it, you know, that's, that's fine. You know, and asking questions and researching is good. It would be more valuable to direct your attention to for example, the claims that are that you're seeing on the fringe websites, right? Um, that helps you more. I think that's more valuable to you than kind of like looking at things you disagree with and trying to pick them apart from a critical thinking perspective. Like, can we harness that and turn it back to, okay, but be skeptical <laughs> of some of these other things that you're you're seeing and hearing and some of these other folks that sound really confident and seem to have all the receipts but uh when you start picking at it a little bit it's uh it, you know there's a lot there's a lot to be questioned there and i think it's delicate because you have to do it in a way that doesn't tear down all of reality <laughs> there's a tendency with this where it's okay you no longer believe the mainstream narrative and now we're trying to disabuse you of the fringe narrative alternative narrative and now i just can't believe anything there's nothing left right um, so is there a way to kind of do that in a productive way instead of a there is no truth way, um, which I think is not productive? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I, I was um, kind of migrating around a couple of different conspiracy spaces over the last couple of days, just trying to ask questions, trying to challenge ideas and uh, keep an open dialogue with people who have like really radically wild views in some cases. But I think COVID is actually like the biggest separator 
um, I, I feel like uh, there's a lot of people for whom the government's actions, like in terms of mandates and stuff like that, do feel different in some way. Um, I don't know if that's justified, right? But they do. So I, and, and at the same time, um, the kind of like broadness of this, the fact that we really haven't had to struggle as united people uh, for a very long time against like a common enemy. Uh, and then we had kind of this level of misinformation about that common enemy, sometimes that it didn't exist, sometimes that it came from, you know, 5G or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just feel like there's there's a there's a lot of misinformation, but the best way to approach it. Oh my god. Sorry, my dog. Uh oh. We got a dog situation. Is the dog going to attack the misinformation on a physical level? <laughs> the dog is having a reaction. Oh, how did you do that? How did you share this tweet? Oh, I, I went and found it and I hit the share button on the tweet. And during a space, there is an option to share a tweet within a space like that. Oh, okay, nice. Which is which is news to me as well. Very useful. <laughs> Let's use that. Yeah, that's helpful. Instead of alluding to a thread that I wrote, uh, I could just paste it. You all would have it immediately. Um. Okay. Hope he's okay. Yeah. Um. Joe, let us hey, know. Hey, sorry. I'm fine. Dog. I just had to. It's it's my dog. She was saw another dog. So then that happens. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, so, your, okay. I'm glad you're back. I, what I wanted to say about your comment was, um, I think it's really great, and I do. Um, so I started, with, like months before Prism, I started a Facebook support group for like the loved ones of misinformation victims so people who have lost people to queue and get into fights at family gatherings about masks and covid and whatever else um and there's a few hundred people now in that group but it's like i tried i try to do this um it doesn't take up a huge amount of my time you're going and engaging right and there have been other uh, similar efforts but uh, I guess what I'm trying to say about the infrastructure piece is what could we do to institutionalize a thing like that, right? Like the out piece, the outreach piece with uh, good hearted people who are also capable of interacting constructively with folks who are in the rabbit hole, for example. Like, could we do more than just leave that to ad hoc, whoever wants to on their own time? Could it be organized more, um, provide training resources, um, you know, sort of like have a, a volunteer Peace Corps, you know, equivalent <laughs> of this, right? Because it's a massive problem and there's millions of people who are affected. And uh, Joe, no offense, but like you and I with my little Facebook group, it's going to be hard to like make a dent in that unless we're at least working together and then hopefully like bring more people to bear to that. Like you could see, you could see a nice little army of people who volunteer time to just engage with folks. Uh, and if 
a group of 50 people were putting in a couple hundred hours a week, that could start to move the needle, you know? Um, so something like that you could think of as in infrastructure as well. I'm taking a broad interpretation of infrastructure, very like Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, the, the Buttigieg infrastructure, you know, is uh, unfortunately more limited than Biden's. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I was going to say, like, for me, I feel like paying teachers more and paying like elected officials more um at the state and local level is really important uh i feel like that would cultivate people to choose that profession in addition to other like economic reforms that could kind of help out infrastructure from against misinformation um and i say that because i feel like um those economic reforms have to happen mainly in education also i feel like there's a way to build curriculas Curriculums, curricula, curriculae, right? Yeah, it is feminine. Curricula. Oh wow, Latin, everybody. Latin. Um, so, like that are that are not just that are resistant, right, uh, to disinformation long term. That set kids up to be good critical thinkers till they die. Uh, so, yeah. We don't like to talk about children dying, but yes, I take your point. Well, sorry, like not they're they're gonna die when they're old. Like they're gonna <laughs> yes, live a wonderful full life, you know. A I whole just hope long that life where you as start wonderful anti-fascist <laughs> life, and you just live it all the way through. That's great. Okay. Um, all right. I would like to. Okay. So the last couple things we covered were. <sighs> like tracking specific narratives and having a Kanban or some kind of similar thing, cards for different narratives. This is sort of like what rumor control do, did um, under Chris Krebs a couple years ago for the election. It was like, here's the stuff that's coming out about hammer and scorecard and what you need to, you know, here's some links to sort of debunk that right away. And there's different stuff that's been done for COVID and there's different things that you'll see out there for, for QAnon. But um Stuff like that, uh, kind of the the collaborative crowdsource tracking of narratives so that we know where things are and it's easy to pull up the debunk uh, with, a, with a quick search. Um, and then the, the next piece is reaching people in the rabbit hole, like what kind of infrastructure do we have in place? And I would argue not very much. So um, that's an area where it could use a lot. Um, somebody in my messages just now making a great point you know this has to be that has to be done in those spaces where those folks live now um twitter kicked a lot of them off facebook has shut down some of them youtube's taking action right and i think now especially i don't, I don't want to get too ahead i don't want to make a prediction that's unwarranted but when you think about the actions that these platforms are taking against the russian uh state affiliated like explicitly state affiliated media but also um bot nets and whatever that are associated with russia and doing the i stand with putin hashtag and whatever else it is right you're seeing action taken against that well they're gonna they're gonna turn their focus maybe to BitChute or telegram they're gonna be in other places where um 
where there's less moderation, but also where there's a, a more willing, a more open kind of audience there. So that's kind of becoming the battle space. I think you have to think of all the platforms as the battle space and have a different strategy kind of for each one. Uh, but yeah, infrastructure behind that to kind of think about like, okay, what's the strategy going to be for this? Do we have people who are going to be doing what needs to be done on Twitter, on Facebook, on Telegram, um, kind of in these different spaces and then give them resources, you know, centralized sort of way where we can make resources that, that can then be shared and hopefully with the level of skill that doesn't get you immediately booted out as a, as a shill or whatever. Um, so important areas there to think about. <laughs> Joe's clapping over there. You've been booted yes. at this show, haven't you? I was just going to say, uh, I, I have been booted many times. Um, no, I, I was just going to say to stars of COVID's point, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for getting people the, the primary sources. But the problem is, it's like there are so many sources so much evidence um that that makes up you know the 90 percent of these people's truths that are factual and the 10 percent that's absolutely batshit kind of warps the rest of it right at least that's the the way i see it um like when you talk about the mh uh what what was the tail number uh, 17 17 yeah um when you talk about that one, like the CIA and NSA are releasing like very tactically in this fight, um, right? Like information that they think will be promulgated amongst democracies. And I think that's great. And I think that like, that's better than killing kids in Yemen with drones. Um, but, oh, the dog's back. Hold on one second. Joe making an important point there about what we spend our money on, <laughs> what we could be spending our money on. Yeah, that's a point well taken. Okay, so for those for those pieces, I don't want to run too long. I had intended to keep this to like a half hour because I thought I had a meeting. Uh, my meeting changed, so we're still here. But I wanted to table one more concept to kind of bat around a little bit, and that is uh stepping back from some of the more specific things and looking at misinformation from a from a research perspective i think we've learned a lot there are a lot of folks scholars you know studying this and writing their papers i think a lot of them are plugged in and talking to each other um so i'd be open to suggestions for this but my sense is there's there's maybe space for a high command approach to the research agenda where it's it's sort of um, right now it kind of like falls to individual institutions or even individual researchers to sort of survey the whole landscape, figure out, you know, do the lit review, figure out everything that's been done, find their one little place where they're going to add value and then um, tackle that one little place. So I wonder your thoughts about um, having a, a different approach to the research agenda where we kind of, I don't know if it's on a website or something and we can have a debate about what's being done and what, what folks are seeing, you would have kind of eyes on 
different work that's being done. So it opens up collaborative possibilities, but also importantly helps you deduplicate. So you're not like working on something that somebody else has already done or is doing um, before it's published, before preprint. It's like a less formal kind of forum for those types of interactions to happen. Um, I think could deduplicate some of the effort there. And then also identifying gaps. So if we're looking at this from above in a strategic way, you can kind of say, all right, there's been a lot of work done on uh, the effects of deplatforming and what that means is people go off and does that matter, does it not? And there's these statistical findings of whatever. Like, okay, so that area is covered, but what we're missing, for example, is uh, more like human-centered design look at how people uh, how people respond to misinformation that's put in front of them or things that they don't know to be true, like the people who end up sharing something that isn't true and let's assume good intent or whatever, but like what led them to do that? Is there anything we can learn about the design of those things? And then could we, you know, take those principles of design and apply something to reach that person and... Um, and help them and that's that's very different right that's very different from a sort of uh what do i want to say like networks based approach where like there's a big data set and you look and you say here's these here are these nodes and these individual posts but mostly people just scroll on by but like okay my my feeling is there's a gap here where how come we don't understand why people are scrolling on by is it because they've already seen it and already believe in it and that's why they're not clicking on it is it they just, you know, most people, 60% of people who see it uh, know that it's nonsense and just don't want to deal with it. Or is that maybe that's not even the intent? Like there's also a human piece on the other side of it, which is sometimes the intent is not for people to click on individual things. Sometimes the intent is for uh, is to create the impression that this thing is true just through repetition or just through making it so omnipresent in these channels that it's sort of accepted passively, even if you don't do anything active about it. So, okay, so thoughts on research agenda and how we could be looking at that differently. I think the idea, I've never framed it as like a high command uh, type of way, but uh, something I've, I've told Penny many times before, it's very important that we don't reinvent the wheel every time and every time it's brought in someone into this is not having to build their own wheel. Um, and I think this is something that I, I see not just happening in like this kind of misinformation, disinformation space, but in, in lots of reflects our, our respects. Um, I don't have a good answer for this. Um, but I do think that coordinating it, creating better resources, easier to understand things you don't have to, you can spend a little less time in and jump like further in, uh, down the track than having to kind of trudge through, um, would be helpful. And then also creating like a, a more of a broader community so that people can like help each other to like kind of understand concepts and things because not everyone starts at the same basis and not everyone has the same academic training. So our kind of frameworks we even approach the problems with are, are dramatically different. Um, the other, the other thing is like, I, I totally agree. I mean, I've worked in marketing like forever and uh, sometimes it's just the ambient stuff there. Uh, people don't need to click on it to get the impression, to get the, uh, to see the thing or like they might see it, look at it and then still not, Inter engage or interact with it. Uh, and that's, that's another thing that won't be picked up by social media, um, you know, metrics, which is, I think, a bit of a worry for me sometimes. 
Um, and even, you know, you probably even notice like in your own like scrolling, like sometimes you actually look at something, you read it, and then you won't like on Twitter, like you won't like it or retweet it, but like maybe you think you did or like you're doom scrolling and you're just kind of like quickly reading through stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think there's a, there's a lot of information that goes through that actually none of the metrics pick up that are, that you would traditionally be able to export through, uh, through analytics. Um, but it still, it still affects you because that's how a human brain works. Like you're still picking up all this information, even if it's not, even if it's not like top of mind. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. glad you brought in the marketing because that's exactly kind of where my mind's at with those types of things. It's like these, um, oh, what is the name of this game? Stupid game with a little cartoon soldiers and you like. <laughs> oh, wait, the million clash of clans or whatever the new one is. You talking about that? Yeah, I, I think it must be related to Clash of Clans, like same company that did that, but it's a war. It's called uh, Total, no, not Total War. Anyway. Warzone, you, isn't it? World of Warships? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be it. You guys are getting different uh, than me. We've all know, seen a lot of YouTube ads. I don't know uh, why. I've top War. This, but I, is it, what is it called? Is it Top War, the one where you, the floating and the islands colliding to get bigger? Yeah, you like make your little island and then you... Yeah, it just uh, looks like cannon fodder, except terrible. You create a base. I don't know. So I've never clicked on this, right? Anyway, the point is everybody gets different ads, but I get this ad a lot, and I don't know why, but I've never clicked on it. But um, after seeing the ad for it like one million times, <laughs> I'm closer now probably to clicking on it. So you know what I mean? Like the impression matters, the kind of clicking on it matters. And I think there's some some research in sociology or psychology where, you know, um, people on average are you know in are invited to participate with a group or do a thing maybe like seven times before they they agree to try it out and so there's like that principle if you take six or seven as a heuristic and just say like that's how many times an ad needs to be placed in front of you for you to like actually try and click it out and then maybe maybe some of those that click will convert over to a download and paid and whatever. So you kind of like from the business perspective, they're setting up this funnel from the user perspective. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you're feeling like you're getting bombarded with it, but the reason is, is it works, right? There's some kind of science behind that. And I can't speak authoritatively to it, but there's an interesting part of research of the overall research that's done in this area that I think we need to um, pay attention to. I think also maybe to think not just in the the psychology aspect of it or or even like UI UX design, but how the the marketing industry itself operates and understands how it needs to be operating in these spaces. You know, you you talking about like uh, if you see it a bunch of times, like that's called remarketing, and that's like the basic level way of getting your product sold. Like you have it a touch point once, and then you learn a bit about the customer, then you convert the ad, they see it again and again and again. And maybe they buy. And the more they see it, it is, you know, through uh, through lots of marketing research shows that it works. It works and it works. Um, not for like the cost per click you want sometimes or like the, you know, the attribution you want, but you can get there eventually. Um, and if you give people enough chances, like you can cha- make them basically believe anything if you hit them enough times or make them think other people believe these things. Um, and, yeah. and sometimes I get really worried that I know a lot of basic marketing stuff that just seems really normal to me, but then it's basically hijacking other people and they have no idea. Uh, <laughs> and that worries me a lot. I'll be totally honest. It freaks me out. I think you're right. I mean, I think the average person doesn't have an appreciation for 
how marketing works. I didn't uh, for a long time until I took a class that sort of got into it at a, at a very surface level, right? And not worked in it professionally or anything. But there's so much crossover with how uh, how you get to buy people to buy something, advertising, and how you get people to believe something and disinformation. Um, there's also, if I may, I'm, I'm John Flo, uh, co-founder of the Pro Social Design Network, uh, and we have a whole library that of research related to uh, choice architecture, things of that sort. Um, but yeah, there's a whole realm of choice architecture, behavioral economics that, uh, in our case, we're looking at how that could apply to making social media possibly counteract uh, dis, uh, misinformation, disinformation, but most importantly, help people better understand one another, relate to one another. Um, so in that vein, I'm trying to think of some studies specifically. There was some possible solutions might include uh, rating the accuracy of headlines. That seems to be one possible intervention. And there, there are a few others in uh, our library at prosocialdesign.org. Uh, and uh, we're really trying to also have it be accessible to a wider audience, such as all the wonderful, uh, wonderful folks here. So um, that, that's a resource that's available. And I would love feedback. I designed the thing on Webflow uh, months and months ago. So uh, yeah, that's something we've been working on. Okay. On that front. Pro social design. You know, check that out. Yeah, this is, I mean, the first step to building our infrastructure should be like, well, what are, what infrastructure is already in place? What have people already been working on and, and have tabs on those? Um, if anybody here doesn't know, I have been working on something called something I call the anti-misinformation resources catalog. It's all just up on our Substack right now because uh, we don't have a better place to put it, but um, it's got a couple hundred links to different things. Some of it's like specific articles related to the psychology and some of it's like, here's this disinformation networks research tool. And some of it is education materials for the classroom or online games and quizzes related to media literacy, like all kinds of things. So I am trying to track on that. And uh, John, thank you for that. I'm going to have a look and see um, about pro-social. Sounds interesting. Um, but just so you guys know, if you've got tips on resources that you think pertain to anti-misinformation, uh, please forward me. I'd love to have them uh, referenced in the catalog. And I think that helps us keep visibility on um, some of these big pieces that are already that already exist. Um, as we think about filling in gaps and building new stuff. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks everyone. Uh, last call for anyone on the line here um, for thoughts on infrastructure. We've gone way past, so I want to wrap up. I got to go have my lunch, <laughs> but I uh, really appreciate y'all joining and uh, hope to stay in touch on this. Watch for our, I'll try and write this up a little bit. And as I said, the idea here is we'll actually build a proposal, <clears throat> put together a proposal for how to build probably a website, you know, that has a couple of different components. I don't think we're going to throw the kitchen sink at it to begin with, but like developing requirements for these different types of things to tackle these different types of jobs to be done um, so that we have a program that we're building toward. We need to step back and kind of think about the priority that these things are done in so that we're ready for 
we're ready for the midterms, for example, or especially for 2024, get in place what we need um, for election, not to make it so US centric, but things get really crazy around election season. So trying to think on those timetables and, and what realistically can be done and what absolutely has to be in place versus what we might be able to wait on and so forth. So we'll put that together, watch for it. And thanks again. Bye everyone. Thanks again also.